Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I'm your host, Duncan McPherson. On this podcast, our objective is to always be enabling our audience. These are high-performing, fee-for-service professionals to be always working on their business and themselves personally and professionally. And I have to tell you, on today's podcast, I have great conversation with David Rutherford. Uh, among many other things, David is the owner of Frog Logic. You can visit his website. You can see David on LinkedIn. But this conversation, we discussed so many areas of symmetry based on what uh, a financial professional is trying to accomplish when it comes to leadership, leadership with their team, leadership with their clients, and just that best version of themselves. And again, David's credibility is unrivaled based on when you hear his backstory. If you like this podcast, please like and share and tell your colleagues. And of course, if you have any ideas or topics you would like to hear on this podcast uh, in the future, just let us know. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, Duncan here. I am so tremendously excited for our guest here today. First of all, the theme for this conversation is called Finding Another Gear. And the premise is that notwithstanding that things will continue to be uncertain and volatile with a fair amount of anxiety out there in the world, locally, globally, I have the sense at least that we're about to turn a corner and we're going to get on the other side of this bizarre disruption. So we want to talk about finding another gear and taking advantage of that. So uh, we have a gentleman who is a highly respected performance coach, highly coveted presenter, David Rutherford. How are you doing? Duncan, my man, I, I, just the idea that there are more gears within all of us gets me fired up. So I, I'm doing awesome. Uh, I can't thank you enough for, for just one, uh, the courtesy that you've bestowed upon me and the grace that you have and allowing me to come and be a part of, man, I was, I was going through your, your book last weekend and, and man, I tell you what, you are on point with how you look at stuff. So I, I just feel so honored to be a part of, of, of your show, man. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that a lot. And I will tell you, I've talked to so many people about our conversations leading up to today. And I punctuate every conversation by saying it constantly amazes me how the people with the highest capabilities also have the highest level of humility. And you represent that. So first of all, I normally provide a bit of a backstory and an introduction, but you have quite possibly <laughs> the most interesting but also indirect path to working in the fee-for-service financial services space. So I'm going to let you just talk about what it is you do and, just as importantly, how you got here. Uh, I, well, thank you for that. I, I mean, how much time do we have, right? <laughs> is what I always like to ask. Um, you know, I, I think in a nutshell, what what I, I, I try and do, and, and obviously, you know, through my conversations with Chris and, and Brian Gallery and, and all the folks at the First Trust Advisory Consulting Group, you know, they always, we, we all, they were also wonderful and got on like, tell us what you do so we can help promote you and all this. And remember I was on with Brian and he, and he's like, well, you know, and I was going through it and he's like, well, what can you, can you break that down? Can you get to the abstract? And I was like, yeah, essentially I help people restructure their perception of pain. 
And, and the way I, I have been able to, in some capacity, help people doing that uh, was through my unique kind of the arc of, of my life so far. Uh, you know, I, I was a division one athlete uh, that didn't kind of maximize what I believe my potential could have been. And as a result of those failures, it propelled me to, to dig a little deeper and to, to really kind of go after those, those core concepts within us. Like what is, what are the things that really inhibit our ability to maximize that ambiguous concept of potential, right? And so I, I, I dropped out of college. I was an art major with a minor in poetry. So don't make fun of me. I'm a hippie who can kill you. Um, so uh, I, I dropped out and I joined the Navy to become a Navy SEAL and went through the program, spent eight years in the SEAL teams. Uh, in my final kind of year and a half, I was an instructor. And that's where, where the passion for teaching and the passion for trying to um, not only uh, explore knowledge in a much deeper level, but then how to transfer that knowledge onto uh, willing participants, so to speak. And, and that really launched my passion for uh, you know, coaching and teaching and, and, and being in that space. But you know, when I got out, I, I returned home to where I grew up, Boogertone, Florida, and tried real estate. My mom's a real successful realtor. And man, I stunk at that Duncan so bad. I was so horrible. And I remember the first night after my mom had a big, uh, a long weekend of open houses. And I remember getting a phone call from a client that she got on Sunday nights and we had family night dinners on Sunday nights. And this person is just berating my mom on, on the phone. And I'm like, give me the phone. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to say, I'm going to end this right now. And she's like, honey, I, I think you need to find a different profession. So uh, I tried domestic security, worked for a big company out of, of Grand Rapids, did that for a while, and then just didn't connect to any of it. And fortunately, had a buddy who was in need of uh, some assistance. So uh, I made a strong pivot back towards carrying a gun for a living and went to work for Blackwater. Uh, at, and I was an international curriculum development specialist for Blackwater, worked in Azerbaijan, worked it back, went back to Afghanistan and uh, did some stuff here in, in CONUS. Uh, and then it was during that Afghanistan trip where I really had a, a unique experience uh, on an operation with the counter drug commandos where I wanted to help kids. And, and that, ex that experience really uh, provoked a deeper introspection myself to really evaluate how much change can you effectuate through the barrel of a gun uh, versus through someone's heart and in particular child's heart. And how do you prepare a kid for a life that's imbued with suffering and pain. And so that's when I wrote my first book, which was a kid's book. And it was about self-confidence. And, you know, over the next two years after leaving Blackwater in 06, I, I spoke to about 7,000 kids in North America uh, and really was trying to teach self-confidence to that eight to 15 year old area, that real uh, pivotal um, developmental phase of identity, personal identity, self-consciousness, self-awareness, self-worth. Uh, and, and it's incorporated all into the, 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 the umbrella of self-confidence. Um, did that for two years. Then uh, the wonderful economy collapsed uh, where I uh, was uh, uh, somewhat, I think I was motivated with, with the shift of back towards carrying a gun for a living. And this time I had the incredible opportunity to go work for the, the CIA and as a contractor for them. And for two years, kind of trained case officers, essentially, I guess the easiest way is how to behaviorally integrate with, with soft units that they were co-located with downrange. 
where I learned a tremendous amount in the two years teaching. Well, they actually ended up teaching me more than anything I could have ever dreamed. And then I decided to put my money where my mouth with was. So I, I decided to deploy again in a, an operational uh, construct. Uh, and if you ever saw the, the movie 13 Hours of Benghazi, uh, that's what I did for two years. Um, and it was uh, my fourth year with them that my ex-wife said, uh, if you deploy again, we're done. Uh, so I, 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 I didn't want to lose that at the time. And, and so I stopped and that's where this kind of random kind of confluence of, of relationships from my past came to fruition. And a, a guy who I had gone through training with back in 96, uh, was working in the financial services industry, uh, reached out and was like, you know, Hey, Rut, man, uh, are, are, are you still talking to companies? And I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah. You know? And he's like, well, are you any good? <laughs> And I was like, come on, man, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a good motivator. And he's like, well, listen, if, if you're any good, I'll use you and my buddy will use you and all the wholesalers and our organization will use you. And, and uh, that kickstarted a 10 year career. I did 30 events for that organization that year. And I've averaged uh, 30 to uh, 40 to 50 events a year since then for the last 10 years. And then uh, kind of in 13, 14, 15 uh, I launched a podcast that turned into a real big podcast called the Team Never Quit Podcast with Marcus Luttrell. Uh, and then my performance coaching really kind of mm -hmm. took off uh, to where, you know, kind of the highlight of so far of what my experience is, is 2018. I, I was able to work with the Collegiate World Series champions, the Oregon State Beavers baseball team. And then in my third year, uh, I was able to uh, help win uh, a world championship with the Boston Red Sox. And, and my job that year was really to help focus on developing a, a leadership program around Mookie Betts, who ended up uh, winning the AL MVP. So it was a, it was a banner year for me. But, um, you know, those, all those circumstances eventually led me back uh, to a relationship I'd cultivated 10 years ago when I first started with that other financial industry a services group. And uh, through a close relationship, I was uh, reached out uh, last April by this guy and his kids are both athletes. And I do a lot of work with athletes and kid athletes. And um, he just so happened to be a big producer for First Trust. And after a few days, he was like, why are you not working with First Trust? And I was like, I don't know. Tell me about him. And before I knew it, I I got an interview with Mr. Bowen and, and Andy Rogensack and, and they gave me a crack and uh, that was in August and uh, in December, they asked me to work full time for them. So that's been the, the trajectory, the course it's, there's a lot more in there, but uh, that's as best I can do to shorten it. So thank you for allowing me to share that. Oh, that's a, that's a pretty uh, robust resume in and of itself. Although I know you skipped a lot just uh, in the favor of time. But uh, so glad that we got connected. And as you know, that whole First Trust environment, they're such big advocates for the fee-for-service professional and trying to bring value to them that they'll actually value and apply. Um, so <clears throat> the first thing I just I, Can I jump in there real quick, course. Duncan? Because I just want to say this, man. Uh, you know, we've, we've been talking in our preliminary conversations prior to and you know, and even in the conversations I had with Chris as well, leading up to it, man, and, and, you know, digging into your book finally last week, man, was it just, it, it's so, it's so remarkable how, how much greater insight I gained 
into that world by just understanding the mindset that that you guys are trying to teach them. And and it was a, an immense benefit. So I, I just want to thank you for uh, the suggestion and then also, you know, the impact that you're having uh, around the world for these people, because you you definitely, I think, approach it from that relationship standpoint and, and how to be, a, uh, uh, you know, you're not just kind of a commodity, as you say, you know, selling uh, that, but you're really trying to help people and, and, and those relationships. And I just, I, I just, hey, man, that you guys are, are on point for that. Oh, I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you for sure. And uh, I will tell you on that point, um, and you would know this, the best coaches are also the most coachable. That's the irony because I've had so many conversations with people who have plateaued and it's a one-way street. It's not a conversation. It's a lecture. They're bombarding you, uh, trying to convince you they're the smartest person in the room, (laughs) but yet the best coaches who are that proverbial steady burner for their entire lives, they are sponges. And that's the, one of the first things I noticed in our initial conversations is you are a sponge. You ask such great questions. The clay is perpetually soft with humility and credibility. I want to get into that. When you were describing, uh, you know, initially the real estate world with your mom, I just had this vision of you overcoming an objection by putting the person in a headlock. <laughs> Might have been effective. Might have been a new way to uh, close well, a deal. Well, I mean, it, here in South Florida, where I live, I, if, if I if I took that approach, I'd have to put people in headlocks all day long. Unfortunately, it's a <laughs> it's a different mentality down here for sure. But it's funny that you you, you talk about this just this morning. I, I you know every every Monday if I'm home and I'm not traveling, I try and uh, I try and work with a a, a guy who's a, a seventh degree black belt in Gracie Jiu Jitsu, and and he you know and Every Monday, he just ties me in pretzels and chokes me out, and and puts me in arm bars and kimuras and footlocks, and and the, you know he always giggles because you know I've been seeing him on and off for like I don't know ten years, and I'm still a white belt, and you know, and it's just like, and it's like you know he goes he goes you know what David he goes you are the eternal white belt, and and I take a lot of pride in that because you know if you like you said if if you live in that space where you re- realize every single every single day is a learning day first and foremost, but you know, every single day can be a meaningful learning day as well too. You know, not just the little tidbits you pick up or, you know, reading between the lines of, of the volatility of markets or, 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 or whatever uh, is, is drawing your mm-hmm. attention, right. You know, really um, focusing your attention, you know, you, you start reading between those lines and you, you really, that's where you, your growth just, just starts to, uh, become immeasurable, really, and and so that's why I love the moniker of of the eternal white belt. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all about plateau avoidance. We just that's don't right. want to plateau. And there's just one of the greatest gifts is the ability to become our full selves. And uh, I love that. I take that seriously myself. But I I'm fortunate to be around a lot of people who also have that same mindset. Uh, I want to go down a bit of a dual track. So. First of all, your backstory, uh, incredibly fascinating, but now I want to sort of pivot into application. So let, I'll first want to acknowledge and then and circle back later on to the whole frog logic hmm. uh, community. So when I first saw the frog, a couple of things came to mind, but the first one, one of the most powerful stories that I heard early in life that I've relayed to so many young people 
is the story of the frog and the scorpion. <laughs> so that's what triggered me when I saw that logo. So, I'll, you know, if you haven't heard the frog and scorpion uh, story before, if you're listening in, you can go look that up. It is so incredibly powerful. But I'd love for you to just, first of all, what is that image conveying to the world? A frog on a brain. It's a, thank you for asking that. I, it's not often I get to explain it. You know, everybody always looks at it and, uh, you know, I think they wonder, but they, they don't, they're not quite sure what it is. And, and, you know, I've had everything for, you know, is, is the frog eating the brain is the frog, you know, as the, you know, to be crude, has he done other things? Is that what the brain is, you know, and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm like, no, man, you know, the idea for me is, you know, I come from an organization that has, 80 plus years of um, really uh, elite level training and operational doctrine. And that's the underwater demolition teams of the World War II uh, through Vietnam and then the SEAL teams from Vietnam till modern era. And, you know, I always like to share that in any capacity, you know, these doctrines, they don't originate in, in the ivory towers of academia uh, they certainly are cultivated through various think tanks out there or, or consulting firms. You know, the, the idea that we're what we do is we possess these doctrines uh, because we learn on the battlefield for sure. On, and, and that battlefield is where we are taught. We learn what works and what doesn't work. We learn what we need to do. So when you look at the history of our organization, and you think about the intensity of, of how we learn our lessons, we learn them on the battlefield. And we learn those lessons uh, through the blood of our enemy and through the blood of each other. And that really ingrains uh, these, these principles, these, these I, I mean, these are virtues. These are things that we just, we, we hold so uh, comprehensively uh, as a, a um, they're almost, they're almost like, geez, they're almost, uh, they're almost like rituals, if you will. They have that intensity, right? And, and I've been reading this great book on the history of, of religious symbols and rituals. And, and, you know, some of these things that we're ingrained in are, you know, are tens of thousands of years old. And, and so we hold those ideas, those, those TTPs, those tactics, techniques, and procedures, those standard operating procedures, man, those are derivative of, of hard lessons learned. And so I really wanted to pay tribute to those folks, right, who have been uh, paving the way uh, for our, our successes in the modern era uh, with, with the, the in, insane hard work and dedication and really the ultimate, the sacrifices of, of, of guys who've, who've, who've died on the battlefield or in training or as a, a result of the, the experience, you know. And so the idea was that, to, and they used to call the underwater demolition teams back in World War II, they used to call them the frogmen of the Navy. And because essentially we would do these incredible ops with a, a simply a, a pair of, you know, cheap fins, some UDT shorts, uh, a, a dive mask, a, a, a K-bar knife and 50 pounds of TNT, right? And, and that were our, those were our tools. And we'd be in the water for 15, 20, 30 hours at a time, depending upon the, the distance we had to swim to get to these reefs, to blow these reefs up so the, the landings could take place at Iwo Jima. 
at Saipan, at, at Okinawa. I mean, we were the tip of the spear and all those. And then you take it back even further where we really got our start was at, you know, the Naval Combat Demolition Units and D-Day. We, we, we cleared those channels so those, those landing craft could hit the beach. So I wanted to pay tribute and to those people. So that was where the frog came in. And then obviously the logic is to try and uh, uh, be able to share some of these concepts with people. But, you know, not in, in, you know, everybody talks mindset, everybody's mindset, mindset, mindset. And for, for me, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reactivity uh, within mindset and in certain uh, pretenses, especially under duress, right? Under duress, you know, th- there's the old Mike Tice, famous Mike Tyson saying, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the nose. And so the way I looked at it is like, when we get punched in the nose, our training kicks in and, and. Our tra- we train harder than you. So th- there's a logical approach to how we restructure our perception of pain in particular through, you know, various concepts like violence of action or, or, or these different tactics that we employ. So I wanted to get the sense, Hey, if, if you understand this 80 years and you can extrapolate these, this logic that we use under extreme environment, in extreme environments, um, it can help you in your life. Now, Obviously, you know, you, you know, most people don't have the guns, the bombs, the bullets and, and all the other negative stuff in their lives. But, you know, the same context of, of cognition is applied. And, and so that's where I really wanted to uh, introduce people to this, this legacy, this 80 plus year legacy of, of, of how we conduct ourselves both on and off the battlefield. Okay, yeah, terrific. And you know, what's interesting about the logo is it is both intuitive, like you come to your own conclusions, but it still leaves you wanting more. You want a couple of dots connected. You. And um, you know, the beauty about logic, uh, there are immutable laws that exist that we have to respect. And then of course you take critical thinking along with that. And then of course the ability to be nimble that comes from good situational awareness training, et cetera. Uh, my oldest son is fascinated uh, by history, um, especially it involves uh, uh, conflicts of the past. I will tell you, interestingly, I was thinking about this. Somebody steered to me, um, pointed an auction to me, and the auction was, among other things, promoting uh, silver coins that had been recovered by teams. Uh, this was a ship that went down from the 1600s, a Spanish ship. Oh, wow. And um, I just had tried to imagine the logistics of how they found it and recovered it. It must have been incredibly intense, but I'm looking forward because these coins are literally uh, in transit. So four or 500-year-old coins wow. recovered from the bo- bottom of the ocean. I can't wait uh, to see those and hold those in my hands. But Perfect segue, by the way, because I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Number one, you're a serious student of life, but also of the sector that we're in. I'm curious what you've learned and what you've uh, uh, relayed onto your audiences, because the first uh, person I ever saw speak who was from the world of uh, the military was Norman Schwarzkopf. (laughs) And he said many very profound things in his presentation, but the one that really struck me was, 
He said, when it comes to leadership, people always follow character first, strategy second. And that was one of those moments where you're like, wow. I mean, that was pre-mic drop, right? That era that I heard it in, but it was profound. It resonated with me. Very qualitative. I mean, it was validating about integrity and character and all of that. But I'm, I'm curious, when you combine the qualitative with those sort of that decorum of how to conduct yourself, what have you learned from a quantitative that you can relay to your audience that is both tactical and actionable, not just a validation of how to live your life, especially uh, when it comes to leadership? That, that's a great, great. I mean, Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf, I mean, he was one of the great generals that we've had out there. He was, you know, his his ability to lead us through desert storm was, was pretty, was profound. I mean, it was uh, surgical in every way. It really showed uh, the competency and and the, 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 it's a testament to the massive logistical requirement that it is invading a country. And then, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, the big thing in the news right now is, is Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And, you know, one of the, commentaries you keep hearing no matter what what source you're reading is these former generals who are just in in general petraeus in particular kind of sticks out uh, and and you know as they deconstruct uh how difficult it is actually to wage war in particular if you're if you have substantial resistance and we know that uh better than anybody i mean the last 20 years you know fighting uh, uh, an ideological insurgency. I mean, it's created some pretty substantial challenges for us, and 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 as a result, we, my unit in particular, suffered tremendous losses in the last twenty years. And and but when you when I think about leadership as in the context of of your saying with the character uh, leading the charge over strategy, you know, one of the things that's unique about our organization is that officers. They go through training with us, and so you're 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 you know you you don't go to a platoon having never uh, having look at your officer in charge, your OIC or your AOIC, assistant officer in charge, these lieutenants or lieutenant JGs or or even ensigns um, in some cases. You don't look at them and say, you know, who are you? Where'd you cut your teeth? Where are you from? Because you know they went through buds too. They were in hell week too. And in many of the cases in the classes that I was a part of, and I, 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 I had the unique uh, uh, fortune to stay at Buds for double the amount of time I, I needed to because of some injuries and one performance failure. But, but you know, I, so I saw a lot of officers go through, and it was the officers who really took that initiative, right, to to say, hey, no, I'm going to make sure that you realize I'm going to jump in the trenches. Every bit is is like you are. I'm going to do the hard work too. I'm gonna to, I'm gonna pull the sled. I'm gonna be wet and sandy, and probably more than you. And I'm never gonna complain. I'm always gonna have a smile on my face, and I'm gonna inspire you to want to mimic or or at least you know match uh, as best as possible my efforts. And and that was really something that was a profound lesson for me to learn. And and that was kind of how I always tried to lead, whether it was on my, whatever sports team I was captain of or whatever. And, and even, you know, in coaching now, you know, to let you, Hey, I'm, I'm not, I've done this. I've, I've gotten out there. I've tried this. I've been in the trenches. I've, I've, I've felt the pain I've been through. I've, I've had the extended suffering and, and through that, you know, you're, 
you're able to connect with people in a, in a, it legitimizes the information you're trying to share. So, you know, as it comes to when you're, when you're leading people, you know, don't forget there, there's no greater inspiration than the, the person you're trying to really become sub, a submission concept, right? You're submit, you're, sub, you're submitting to your own innate desires to want to kind of be out in front because most people with ambition have have some semblance of that integrated into their their objectives, right? Their mission orientation. And so, you know, to see somebody go, whoa, no, this person knows more than me. This person has been in the trenches longer than I have. I'm going to attach myself to this person at the hip. Man, that's critical. And it, that that's very indicative of, of character. Now I will say, you know, obviously uh, I've seen officers that have gone through the program and I've seen case officers, I've seen business leaders, CEOs, I've seen really high functioning, high net worth financial advisors that just, you know, at some point in their career decide they're going to, they're going to turn the dial down. They're going to, they're going to throttle back the effort. They're going to, they're going to, and I, and I don't necessarily want to expose it as complacency because I don't think that's it. I think they just hit a point where like, I did the work, I'm here, I'm now, I want to, turn the throttle down and enjoy kind of the fruits of my labor. Um, but there's a problem when you're in a leadership role in that capacity. And I'm seeing this and, and, you know, obviously what I do with first trust, I travel with all the wholesalers all across the country. We go to, you know, every place I was just out in California, Southern Cal for a week last week, I'm in Orlando tomorrow. You know, I'm, uh, I think I'm out in Houston come the week after that. So, you know, I'm not just regional, uh, uh, you know, in terms of how that regional culture affects leadership styles or whatever, but uh, it's national. And, and you know, I, what I'm seeing is that some people that have been in this business for uh, a long period of time have cut their teeth. They've seen an innumerable, like, countless changes in, 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 in how the, the, the business itself functions, right? The, the SOPs, the tactics have changed their throttles down, right? They're, they're not pressing on the gas as much. And I think where the big challenge I'm seeing is that those people who have this I- immeasurable amount of wisdom in, in prior uh, past performance to, to, to lean on, to inspire the next generation, they're just not doing that real well. Mm. And, and then the other component of I'm seeing is that there's such a uh, it's not a subtle difference, so it's more than that. I I think there's there's the the demographics of the of of the age groups of the generational differences is so profound now that those senior leaders that are out there that have this wisdom, you know, there's this profound communication gap. I guess is the easiest way to describe it. There's this communication gap to how do you get this young young FA or young analyst that's coming up? How do you get them? How do you inspire them? How do you show them what the work, what the actual work looks like? And so that's what mm-hmm. I'm hearing a lot of. I'm hearing, you know, I just don't want to drive like I did 20 years ago. Uh, and then I'm also hearing, I can't communicate with these people. They don't know what hard work is. And so those are some of the big things I'm seeing right now out there. Okay. That's going to parlay into this next question beautifully, but you, you bring something up that's interesting because most of your audience would be lifelong planners who are fixated on strategy for their clients. So generally they are strategic, but maybe during these disruptions, they forget about the sort of uh, bedside manner and the X factor <laughs> with That's their brilliant. clients 
and their team. Because, I mean, back to your scenario about the officers getting in the muck. I mean, the rank is respected. But, but my view is that leaders don't have a sense of superiority. They're incredibly gracious and respectful Good to human beings. Right. Good leaders, I, I'll yeah. tell you a story just very, awesome. very quickly. I was at a wedding with a friend and it was actually in Greece in Athens. And uh, the reception, uh, his uncle was a very respected architect, very, very successful. So this reception was on a rooftop patio under the stars in Athens. It was just surreal. Wow. It sounds magical. Yeah, it really was. And uh, so we're there and, and there's, it's a beehive with all the people that are helping make this event happen. And anyway, this one lady walked by uh, who was part of the catering team and she had a stack of very expensive looking plates that she was going to put on a table to help get the food going. And she dropped one. And it was like, you know, the the needle on the record player scratches, right? The whole vibe of the area just, it went quiet. The architect, everybody looked at the the architect and he walked up and you could tell the lady was concerned. He reaches over and grabs a plate and throws it on the ground. And basically, if I remember correctly, said something to the effect of now it's a party. Yeah, and I, I, know, I know that's story. an extension on the Greek yeah. culture and tradition, yeah. but I thought to myself that that might be the most powerful display of leadership I had seen to that point in my life. Symbolic, actionable, but not, not superior, not sanctimonious, just, hey, hey, it's all good. And it yeah. just changed the energy in that area. And, and so that, that you, you prompted that when you were t- telling me your uh, analogy there. Well, think about this. I mean, I mean, any any group gets together, right? First off, you know, wh- whatever the the mission is, whatever the goal orientation that brings that that group together aside, wh- what what has to have happen is there there has to be uh, guidance, right? And perpetual mm-hmm. guidance. And, and and when that guidance uh, becomes when that guidance becomes diffused or it becomes uh, uh, decentralized or when that guidance becomes almost um, uh, convoluted with multiple concepts, what happens? It's it's everybody is 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 in doubt. The mission becomes in doubt, mm. and and that's why you know you know great leaders are are constantly reinforcing those concepts, right? Mm-hmm. And and within our community, one of the best things is is we always say this that you know junior man on the totem pole. If you if there's a life and death call that needs to be made. You make that call, and the platoon will follow you, right? Let you know. Let's say you got contacted, and you're in a channelized area, and you're getting waylaid. You know, the junior man sees a a little path between a building, or to get some cover behind a little dirt mound, or wherever. And that junior man starts says, "Over here, on me, on me, on me." You know, everybody stops, listen, looks, and goes, and goes with that call. And and that's a component of of how that leadership should be. Um, diffused across everybody on the team, right? Is that you want people to be able to get out there and make calls and make real world calls. Um, the challenge nowadays, I think, in particular, uh, as if, if you really kind of deconstruct the educational system and how we're teaching young people, 
you know, uh, there's so much pressure being put on young people to be perfect at such an earlier age that there's a, a, a paralysis of failure that's kind of embodied within those younger generations. And, you know, I see it all the time. I, I constantly am being contacted by, you know, parents who they think their kids are have potential elite level potential. And they're like, Hey, can you evaluate them? Can you see where their mindset's at? And, you know, I'll, I'll go spend five seconds with the kid. And I'm like, first and foremost, the kid is petrified of failure. So uh, you're, you're never going to, you're never going to get there if you're afraid to fail. And I think great leaders have that, um, that consistency in there, that their, their willingness to take risk uh, by inspiring the junior people on the totem pole to take greater risk, to get out there, you know, and I'm not talking shoot from the hip, Annie Oakley risk. I'm, I'm, I'm talking, you know, strategic risk and whether it's client acquisition or, you know, maybe it's a rebranding or, you know, whatever those components may be, but man, that's another huge role in, in great leaders is to say, and, and, you know, and, and, and this again goes back to what I had alluded to before, what I'm witnessing is, you know, you have people that have these models that they've worked incessantly on for 20, 30, 40 years, and they're afraid to hand it over to these young people because they, they don't think or act or they don't learn the same way or they don't have the same uh, mission orientator or, or same process. And you're like, I'm not going to give them the reins because I don't want them to destroy what I've, I've mm -hmm. built my whole life. But the problem is, is you're on your way out anyways, and you want to turn it over to, you want to see, but you're not putting in the work to teach them how to fail. You know? So it's this, it's this cycle of, of, of fear that is kind of a, uh, overwhelming, I think people and in, in particular leaders. Okay. So let's build on that because something I've been talking to a lot of our clients about recently is, is deliberately shaping an environment of self-actualization. Yeah, man. But, but through leadership, not just telling people, but showing them based on how you conduct yourself and, and the environment you create, like what you were talking about, the junior team member, that empowerment and that sense of responsibility probably accelerates their maturity substantially. So it's not a micromanagement environment. Um, it doesn't create learned helplessness. Uh, it would be powerful. So I wanted to get to this question here because now let's get into the tactical in a typical day in your life when you're talking to these people in mm -hmm. California or Houston as we do turn the corner, one of the goals is to try to kickstart the team and get everybody bought in, not just into an optimistic outlook about life, but also the concept of an elevated approach as a, as a team. Like, how can we find that other gear? Have you gotten into some tactics, especially with teams, to help kickstart that? A absolutely. I think, you know, first and foremost, you always have to have uh, uh, your the intelligence that you're utilizing for um, goal orientation or strategy or mission mission profiling, you know, it's got to be it's got to be actionable, right? It's got to be real world. It's got to be timely. You got to know what the battlefield is is showing you. And in this case, you know, you mentioned self actualization and in, in kind of the core of of humanistic psychology. You know, what is what is the battlefield? The battlefield has been has been, you know, has been pretty hammered over the last two years. 
uh, you know, we had this discussion before you, you think about the magnitude of fear that people have con- mm-hmm. been forced to consume. And then also what they've allowed themselves to consume, you know, has, has in many, many cases, uh, uh, promoted a certain psychosis that, uh, is very counterintuitive to this another gear level that you're speaking of. And so I think first and foremost, uh, what I'm trying to do uh, with people right now uh, in these teams, whether it's a small RIA I work with, or it's a you know a big wirehouse, or it's a you know a complex that I'm talking to multiple teams at, whatever, you know, the biggest thing is I'm trying to do is is get people to reset their perspective. Right? Hey, listen, um, yes, COVID was existential. Yes, uh, it was a, an unforeseen enemy that was around us at all times that we had no control, or at least we believed we didn't, uh, that was going to take out my parents, my uncles, my aunts, my, my kids, whatever. And so that, that when, when people, again, restructure their perception of pain, and in that case, the pain of death, uh, that's profound. And it causes a, a pretty significant shift and how people process information when you're when you're you're having to process information in conjunction with the construct of death because so many people just don't spend any time at death thinking about death all they do is they they essentially first are introduced to it the loss of an animal or loss mm-hmm. of a grandparent uh, then you compartmentalize maybe you lose a friend in college a drunk driving accident a suicide but still, we compartmentalize death in such a, a significant way that it, it's it, it in these circumstances, it's created a massive mental health issue around the world, uh, most most notably within young people, uh, in particular teenage girls, and then other uh, young people, uh, young men, twenty five to you know twenty five to thirty five are are suffering pretty substantially right now too. So you have this this existential reality um, that is inhibitive. So what I try and, and really do in, in the various talks I, I, I give is, is, is to help people recenter themselves in, in the fact that, hey, you know, you, you don't have a lot of control over what the enemy is going to dictate, right? You just don't. And unless you, you know, you've, you've been integrated into the, the, the battlefield for some time where you've been able to, uh, you know, you, you, are, you are playing major roles in and outside components, but you know, unfortunately, the markets are the markets, <laughs> and 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 you know, kind of world events are dictating those really right now, and that's that's a big deal. I mean, it's it's rare that world events dictate the markets in such a substantial uh, and regular way like this is what I'm learning. And I, and again, I you know, I'm looking forward to our continuous conversations that, where you can better help me understand the history of these markets and what's going on. I'm looking forward to that, but. Um, so that's what the battlefield is showing us is that the volatility is here and it's here to stay for a bit. So if that's the reality, if you can't come to uh, a rational understanding of acceptance that, man, I have to operate within what I have to operate in. All right. So how do I do that? First and foremost, uh, I, I need to understand what I'm really afraid of and, 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 and do mm-hmm. I have, um, do I have a a a rational understanding uh, of that fear in in the way that I can I can wake up every day with it, embrace it, and and move forward with whatever I'm going to have to confront. 
and and those confrontations are 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 they're substantial and have been and are continuing. I mean, you cannot look at at what's going on overseas, look at inflation mm-hmm. where it's at, uh, look at where commodities are, look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, geez, the biggest one for me was you know potentially that uh, Saudi Arabia is going to take the yen as their currency to purchase their petrodollars. That was a significant one that could have profound ramifications. Uh, even Jerome Powell, you know, talked about at the Fed, hey, you know, the U.S. dollar doesn't need to be the only reserve currency. For me, that was just like, w- w- how irresponsible can you be in the current situation? Not only for for the, the the industry that I'm in, but more importantly for the confidence that people have as right. we're staring at 7.9 inflation, right? Like, wait a minute, man, that's that's not good. So fear, manage that fear, un- for, understand it and then figure out how you're going to manage it. And then really the best way to do that is to, after you have that established, you know, reinforce the culture that you're operating within. Because what one of the things that takes a big beating under duress is culture, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes diffused. You start pointing the fingers or, you know, let's say there's, you know, five or six people on your team that just are too afraid to come back into the office. They're too afraid to get... FaceTime with their clients right now. They're too afraid. Uh, they don't want to. Uh, whatever, whatever the the reasons are, um, you know, you have to bring those people back into an environment that isn't disconnected. And although I I, I love Zoom calls and it's it's affording us this incredible opportunity to do this, and you know, I use the same for what I do. I mean, I think I did thirty eight Zoom presentations and WebEx presentations when during COVID. Uh, for all all different types of companies, and it, it's there's a unfortunately there's a a a, a cognitive dissonance that's involved there uh, in 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 a relationship business, and that's literally every every person I go meet with, every great team, every substantial success, I always ask the same question. You know, w- what is this business about to you? And and I haven't met a single person yet that doesn't lead with it's about the relationships I have with my clients and and you preach that fundamentally and 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 so uh, if if it's a relationship business then the culture of your organization has to be strong relationships and after people have gone through this these existential shifts in perception then then you need to rebuild that first and foremost so a big thing I'm promoting right now is hey. You know, I, I met with one team individually up in, in Boston a few months ago. And, you know, they're like, you know, what do you think we should do? And 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 I'm like, well, when's the last time you had a profound, you know, multi-day session? Um, you know, and and by the way, I, I love the way you you, you know you you talk about it in 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 terms of how you meet and how often you brief and you debrief and the you know the the weeklies the hours the 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 once a month and 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 the quarterlies and the annual offsites and you know I think right now everybody could use an mm. offsite everybody could use two days of really drilling back down on on the basics and, and to kind of bring it back to my how I look at this is, is from my background. You know, we'll go do a six-month, seven-month deployment on a battlefield, and you know the op tempo is so substantial that you know you're just you're trying to keep up with it. You're trying to be successful in your missions and what you're doing. But where a huge component of 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 your knowledge base comes back when you come back and then share it with the community and say, "Hey, this is what our platoon or our task unit what we just learned," and then you spread that information out. 
And what we do is we reset ourselves around what we just learned, and then we prepare for what we believe the future battlefield is going to look like. A customized podcast can add credibility and efficiency to your communication efforts. Sifting good prospects from the mass of suspects, staying top of mind with strategic partners, and activating more advocacy from existing clients can be achieved with a turnkey approach. Learn more at proudmouth.com. Do you aspire to consistently attract and keep great clients while driving the enterprise value of your business? Do you want to achieve professional contrast by supplementing your technical ability with a consistent client experience driven by best practices? The Blue Square Toolkit brings the proven Pareto Systems philosophy and process to life in a way that tethers your team so that you can competitor-proof your clients, gain their full empowerment, and attract quality referrals, all while restoring liberation and order in your life and all in an intuitive, easy-to-use, turnkey solution. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14-day free trial today. Okay, you cover so much ground on your answers. You should see my notes from that one answer. So, yes, making the main thing the main thing after a disruption is to bring back the human touch. That's right. And if the team is going to bring back the human touch for the client community, the leader has to bring back the human touch for the team. That's right. So, so it's a cause and effect connection there, uh, which is going to lead me to a a segue, which I want to go deeper. (laughs) You're, you're, sort of former community is fascinating on so many levels. You, you guys have the best lexicon of terminology <laughs> of any sector out there. You said something I'm going to want to, I highlighted, I want to talk to you about further. Uh, fear is often created when you're forced to consume certain information. That's right. That is extremely profound. So yeah. I want to ask you something. So the pendulum has to swing back from being in this mindset of of avoid pain. Let's liberate ourselves to get back into this pursuit of ambitious, uh, the pursuit of achieving excellence. And let's let's free ourselves to leave that fear behind. So, So that is one of the responsibilities, in my view, of the leader is to re-engage the team to restore that, uh, that optimism, that ambition, that desire to put some distance between ourselves and everybody else, which motivation, this, right? At, well, at core, it's motivation. Yeah. Motivation with specific, sustainable, actionable tactics. So, because this is the next thing I want to ask you is that Back to the main thing. We want to rejuvenate our clients to shake off the amnesia (laughs) and the loyalty fatigue that developed because of the disconnect. Yeah, the Zoom was a great sort of stopgap. And yeah, it will now be a supplement in the client experience. But bringing back the the human touch, 
one of the benefits here is to ensure that the reframing, that the team is fixated on reframing the client relationship so that they understand and appreciate what that team can do for the client now and directionally into the future. So there's a cascading benefit here, right? So start with the team, re-engage, rejuvenate, and then have that trickle down to the client community. Is that safe to say? A hundred percent. You can't, you can't, you can't help your client if you're soup sandwich, right? Like if we're going to do a, 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 a hostage rescue mission and, you know, half your team, your, your skill sets are, are rusty or there's cobwebs or you're not quite sure you've been out of it or you haven't pulled the trigger in a few months. And, you know, then, and what, mm-hmm. you know, that's just not what we do. I mean, you know, everybody always wants to know what is the secret sauce? Why, why do Navy SEALs, why do they have, why is it such mythical, you know, mm-hmm. uh, abilities to accomplish the most difficult missions there are in the world? And, and it's because we seek out that pain. We know the pain is part of the process, right? From day one, you show up at Bud's, you are going to have the positive, you're going to have pain applied in a positive way day in and day out. Now, we also have a, within the the lines of operant conditioning, we also have a a unique uh, way that we, through negative, negative reinforcement, uh, we're able to um, gain significant growth in an individual as well too, which is a phenomenon in and of itself. Mm -hmm. The overwhelming majority of organizations out there that try and apply negative, negative, it just doesn't work, you know, but, uh, you know, for us, it's a, you know, it's a lifestyle, it's an all in approach. And so you, you know, it's part of the process that, you know, you, you could have, you know, the greatest day in, 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 at buds or in training and somebody's still going to pick something you did apart. It's just part of it. It's part of that process for us that there's, it, you know, nobody's perfect, but the pursuit of perfection is, is, is what is, is, is purposeful. Mm. And so that pain is, is essential. But if you have people that are pulling, if they're, if they have, it's almost as if it's like, um, to use a, a Jungian phrase that, that shadow, right. That shadow mm. component of us, that dark side, Right, that has now been exacerbated in particular because of uh, whatever uh, the ramifications of COVID, or you maybe you lost your job, or maybe you've had to switch teams, or you moved, or whatever it might be. Man, that shadow follows you. Um, and so, you know, again, to go back to that, you know, concept of of positive motivation, you know, you you have to. Very few people are really good at at getting rid of that shadow when it's super dark. And so, you know, what do we need? We, we need that, that hero story within ourselves to come out. We, and, and the way we do that is, is through the collective, right? You, if you're suffering with other people and, and they're all in no matter what. And, and, and remember when, you know, if, whether it's your swim buddy right next to you and you look over and you go like, man, I'm miserable. You miserable. It's like, yeah, isn't it cool? You're like, okay, yeah, that's the real right response. Or, you know, you're with your boat crew, you got seven people and you're under that boat and, you know, the thing's been pounding on your head for, for four straight days in hell week. And you're like, if I have enough, if I have to run another hundred feet, I'm, my neck's going to snap. I want to quit. And, and you look over at your buddy and he's like, isn't this awesome, man? And you're like, yeah, that's really awesome. And then you, you drive on. 
So that collective processing of pain is essential, I believe, in any successful team. You just, you just, you, you have to click and, and it, what it really, it, because it has to be incentivized in the proper way with the leader based on what the, the concrete culture is of the organization. Okay. Now with that, and, and forgive me if I'm stretching, cause I'm trying to take what you just said and apply it to a day in the life of the leader of the financial professional mm-hmm. team. I'm just going to try to see if I can get the symmetry right. So I've often wondered, you know, my experience in your world is primarily watching movies and documentaries, right? It's not experiential. It's, it's, you know, virtual, but I've often wondered, okay, so if I'm out there, if I'm deployed for seven months or 10 months or whatever it is, when I'm alone with my thoughts, it's a quiet moment. I'm in a bit of a emotional or mental no man's land because you think about pain. I'm thinking about what I left behind at home and what's going on at home that I'm missing. And I'm also thinking about the decisions I'm going to make over that deployment. They're going to impact my legacy and how mm-hmm. I'm perceived and the impact I'm going to have on people in my life. So, so where I'm going with this, okay, David is, Lifelong planners in this world, uh, in the spirit of beginning with the end in mind, need to create a clearly defined beacon around their own continuity and secession plan mm-hmm. that, that not only ties to their own team, but also applies to their own clients. Mm-hmm. So, so help me round that out. Okay, so no man's land, looking back, looking forward, and understanding the incrementalism of the impact as it relates to the value I bring to the world, but also my own legacy. Can you, can you help me make sense of all that? Yeah, for sure. I love how you look at it as the wasteland, right? And, and kind of my, my frame of reference is, is, is you know, we, we all have to kind of go out into the desert, don't we, to find ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that, that concept, uh, really, if, if there is going to be this legacy plan and, and you are going to, uh, you're going to move through this and what seems to be very challenging in, in, in many cases and the people I'm running into, you know, um, that it almost, it almost becomes so overwhelming that the magnitude of work that needs to go into that. Right. That, oh, my God, I have to really dig in. And now, obviously, they have people like you and Chris that can really help guide them and help give them a structure to that. But, at, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you got to do the work. You got to you got to take what you guys are teaching and apply it and put it to practice. And that's painful. And, and so, you know, I, I think what you have is you have. People need to go out or, or they've been out in the wasteland. They've been out in the desert for the last two years. They're coming back. And now it's like, hey, if I want this thing to work and I want this transitional plan to, to, to be implemented and to, to be filed through, I can't work 20-hour work weeks. I can't, I can't you know, spend uh, 30 minutes a week with the person I'm grooming as the COO of my organization. I can't, mm. I can't hire, 
the the these these kid analysis analysts who who uh you know I didn't really do a deep dive uh and in the exact person I wanted to bring in the organization right to help facilitate this transition right because you know that that I see happening a tremendous amount right now one people are so there's so few quality you know people I, I'm not going to say that there's it's very frustrating finding quality people right now. Let me mm-hmm. put it that way. And so that frustration that that parlays itself into, I believe, uh, you know, um, this um, what's a procrastination, if you will. Like, hey, no, you got to dig in and implement this thing. You gotta, you gotta get after it. You gotta, you gotta take whatever plan you're gonna uh, approach that that that's gonna whatever tactics TTPs that you want to use. And again. Uh, you know, the more I'm, um, I'm trying to understand this industry in depth in this capacity, the more I'm learning. And there's just not, there's not a, a tremendous amount of, of tactics out there. I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. I'm, I, and again, again, I just want to say, I mean, I've, I've been in around the space for a while, but not in, in, in this intricacies. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and I love the, the word you use incremental, Right. Each one of these processes is is all imbued with this in, incremental concept. It's little bit, little bit, little mm-hmm. bit, little bit. Now, it's up to you how much, how often you want to tweak that little bit with how fast it's going to happen. You know, and I'm a big person that like, you know, hey, if if you want to drive hard, drive hard for 90 days, right? Mm-hmm. See if you can drive hard for 90 days. This whole 30 days and it's a habit or 28 days or 40, it's all a load of nonsense. In reality, what I believe it's two years, two years to really effectuate substantial difference in, in how you think, act, and feel. Um, but if you want to implement a process and, and make it stick, man, you got to drive hard for 90 days. And uh, I- yeah, I totally agree because if you yeah. read the tipping point and the whole uh, premise of the 10,000 um, hours to mastery, Yep. Probably a hundred at least to get some traction. Yes. To disrupt, uh, put some old habits behind you and just get rolling in terms of. I mean, trajectory. it could be 180. I, I mean, for right. me, it's two years. I mean, it, because I mean, two years in an immersive program, like right. where all you're doing day in, day out is just eat, sleeping, and breathing, whatever it is, you know, you can, you can get it done. But if you're going to, like we said, the little incremental, and that that two years could be four years to shift a culture, four years to shift process or to tighten them up. I mean, you yeah. know, so it, it it really comes down to go do the soul searching, go out, walk out in the desert, figure out what kind of pain you're ready for, come back, and then you know, you know, <laughs> dig in and 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 drive for as long as you can drive, take a, a break if you need. You know, take a week off, go skiing mm-hmm. in Vail or wherever you go or whatever, go to the Bahamas and go fishing or whatever you do, you know, or, and, and then come back and drive for 90 days and, and you'll see, man, that, that it, one, you'll see now your people seeing you get back into the trenches and, 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 and living with that pain and that positive aspect, that motivation as pain, like, I'm going to get this done, I mean, damn it. This is like you said, legacy. That's that's a that's an interesting concept to deconstruct when you really drill down on it on an individual level, man. Because ver- when you push people and you 
you really get people to explore what that looks like, people often have a very different concept than when they first started evaluating that. I mean, it's it's it can be radically different once you push people into really evaluating. So I think it's 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 you know getting in there, man, and and doing the work. That's huge. Well, let me let me give you my interpretation um, of what you said there because earlier you talked about the enemy. <laughs> and I think in this context, the enemy isn't a competitor. I don't even know if it's external dependencies. I think it is our own complacency, our own cognitive dissonance. We place ourselves in these echo chambers of beliefs. <laughs> and and what's interesting is, you know, you talk about no man's land or wasteland. The softer sort of business version of that is the interlude, right? It's the <laughs> space between, right? So you've got yep. your former self, you've got your best version of yourself. If you think of the Venn diagram yep. and yep. between those two, connecting those two circles is the interlude. And I think part of the goal, at, because clients are watching, team members are watching, our family's watching, and we have our own dual track. So, so there's a qualitative aspect around legacy. And that is, I don't subscribe, not just to mediocrity, but just the status quo. I want to yeah. find a bigger way. And I'm okay with dealing with the pain, risk avoidance, pain avoidance. I'm okay. I, I'm going to, I'm okay with that. But here's the interesting thing. Legacy in this space involves how we're perceived, how we're described, how we're remembered, how we're respected. That's qualitative. It's meaningful. But then there's measurable, the quantitative, because so many people we're talking to now are starting to think about their exit. Mm -hmm. And we're spending so much time on enterprise value. And I got to tell you, David, I had a conversation on Friday with uh, a leader in this space in Houston, coincidentally, who I respect, I've known him for a long time, and he is incredibly ambitious, has incredible execution and tremendous quantitative success. But he really bared his soul to me on Friday because wow. of the issue on team dynamics, securing good talent, the market forces around retaining talent. And he said to me on Friday, for the first time in my life, I got an offer for my business that I'm actually entertaining because I think I'm done with the hassle factor. Whoa. And I'm like, Whoa. okay, dude. And this guy you're saying is like, he's, he's done it. He's, he's squared away. He, he's gotten it done on every level, but he's just, he's over it. It's, well, huh? he's not, he, he's, he's, I think he just wanted to say it out loud. Yeah. 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 And yeah, get okay. my reaction. Yeah. And That's I cool. said to him, I said, there is so much gas in the tank. But you don't need this uh, abrupt rip the bandage off. It's done. You're out. Maybe what you need to do is uh, have a liquidity event, sell a portion of the business that comes with some of that hassle factor and just focus on what they're doing. I just said to him, I said, what would it look like? Oh, and by the way, because he just came back from Cabo, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I said to him, I said, dude, what would it look like if you had 25 awesome clients, just your favorite clients. And he interrupted me and he said, you know, my top 25 clients represent about 70% of my profitability and about 1% of my hassle factor. 
And I said, okay, so you, so let's just reimagine what growth looks like for you. And then, so maybe you're doing your team members and the rest of your clients a disservice by keeping them. Maybe you're going to have an event where you're just going to liberate yourself from some of that, elevate all of them to find a better environment. You can steer the way and just put yourself in a place where, yeah, because he's at the stage in his life. He, he, God willing, could live for another 30 years. Yeah. So what on your terms, just make it as pleasant and fulfilling, but you don't need to just get out. Just, just reimagine what it looks like going forward. So my point is, David, the qualitative and quantitative elements, that dual track of legacy and enterprise value simultaneously. What a tremendous gift based on demography, market forces, yeah. and just the ability to self-actualize. I'd love your perspective on that. Man, it, you know, man, I, I, you know, one of the things that we deal with substantially in our world is, is that identity shift. And yeah. I think a lot of people, they really don't give it much credence uh, until it, it hits them in the face. And we have uh, profound challenges from that because we, we, um, we integrate the mindset of being a Navy SEAL, being a special operations to, to our core because you have to. Uh, it is a, it is not a part-time existence, right? You are either all in and you're going to be a, you know, a good operator. You know, some people are great operators, um, or, or you're not in, in you're, you're going to risk somebody getting killed or, or, you know, getting yourself killed. Um, so for us, there is, it is the all in. And so when you hit that point and we see, I see this all the time with the professional athletes I work with in particular that are in going into transition or whatever, is that, you know, here I've been this, this thing for my whole life. And, and, mm -hmm. and so I, I think this way and, and people really don't understand, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a deeper deeper thing than that. You know, who, who am I going to be when I don't have this? And that's why I really loved your, your concept that you shared with this, your friend that, Hey, you, you don't need to be completely over in one moment because what are you going to be? How are you going to rationalize your own identity? What do you, how, how many days in a row can you sit in Cabo on a beach drinking pina coladas before you're like, all right, I'm numb. And then I love all the answers. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna become entrepreneurial. I'm gonna invest in 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 this, and I'm gonna get involved in a tech startup, and I'm gonna sit on a bunch of boards and all this. And I'm like, oh yeah, oh, that sounds great. But you know, what does that look like? What which ones are you going after? What tech? Ah, oh, you know, I'm just I'll figure it out. And I'm like, that's not how it works, man. I mean, it, it's just not how it works. And so, you know, for me the way I look at it for these, these, these individuals who've, who've spent the, the majority of their life building these books, businesses building, you know, you need to spend a little time on, on, on what the other side looks like. Not, not so much from an, a financial perspective. Obviously everybody wants to that quantitative measurement. I want to sell my book for as big a, a, a stroke as I can get. Uh, and then that's indicative of this, how successful I am. Absolutely, Roger. That I couldn't agree more. I think we all do it. Uh, we all value ourselves accordingly. Uh, in particular, if you're in that financial industry, I mean, every day, all day, what you have 
how much you're how how much you're managing how big is your book how big is your book what's your book look like how much you know how many what do your clients look like how much do they have how much do they have with you how much do they have with, and you're it's just it's quantitative like day in and day out i mean it's the essence of the business right is is those quantitative but the qualitative needs to be a much deeper dive focus with who am i going to be afterwards right one of the things i love you know my dad god bless him man is 77 years old he's an attorney ran a pretty decent sized law firm for, for 45 years and has been individual by himself for the last 10 practicing kind of on his own or not 10, but around that. And uh, yeah, nine now. And uh, you know, he's still got four or five clients that he still works with. Cause you know, all of his other buddies that retired 15 years ago uh, you know, they can't play any more golf. They can't, they can't travel any more than they travel. They've, they've been everywhere. They've seen everything. They've played every golf course there is. So it's like, you know, what is your purpose? You know, what meaning do you have to fulfill yourself? I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're, I mean, being a grandparent, yeah, that's fulfilling, but how active are you going to be actually in, in, uh, you know, the development of, of your grandchildren? It's really more just about um, the, the, the memories, if you will, I think, but like for yourself, how do you look at yourself in the mirror every day and go, all right, I, I, I have all this wisdom. I have all this knowledge. Where am I going to place it now? What mm-hmm. am I going to do? And then, you know, you always, you know, well, I'm, you're going to, you're going to in being an entrepreneur. What, well, what does that mean? How much time a week does entrepreneur mean? Every entrepreneur I, I know is working a hundred hours a week is, you know, is, is, you know, my, my one buddy who just kind of rang the bell, my buddy, Evan Hafer, who owns Black Rifle Coffee, you know, they just went public at $1.7 billion, you know, and I remember talking to him 10 years ago when he put a, a, a second mortgage on his house, he sold every gun he had, he leveraged himself to the hilt with this concept to buy a roaster. Uh, and, and he's like, I'm all in. And, and, and I, there's no doubt Evan now is like, I, I'm always thinking, what, what am I going to do next? You know, what's my next thing, you know? And so all of that to say this, hey, as, as you begin to plan for this transition, do the deep dive work on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you going to take this former identity, the former self, and what are you going to morph it into this new identity? And, and one of the suggestions that I make pretty regularly to people out there, if you don't know and, you're, and you, don't, you don't even know how to begin, go do some, do some, uh, do some volunteer work, mm. right? I, I don't care what it is, whether it's mentoring, uh, coaching, right? Maybe it's becoming a referee. Maybe it's joining a nonprofit. Maybe it's building a house in Haiti or whatever it is. But you know, go sacrifice your time at a lower value than what you're consider what you what you're traditionally used to. Because uh, you know, granted, if you're in that place where you're lucky enough to be able to sell a book of business, right? You, you've got those opportunities. But go get into those humble situations where pain is. Uh, the the pain of of your lack of wisdom for a particular specified area of action uh, um, has the opportunity to bring in your worldly wisdom, to bring in the wisdom of what your 30, 40 year career looks like, but also in that in that space of humility that, hey man, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm just here to support uh, the the greater good, if you will. And that's a wonderful space for that exploration to truly begin. 
Well, I mean, you said it so uh, powerfully around purpose, and that's a very personal, individual thing. But I completely agree. Right toward the end of this next book that Chris and I are just about ready to let go to the world, uh, there's a little tribute to Gandhi, who does say, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Uh, so that that benevolence piece is powerful. I will say this because hindsight is such a freaky yeah. part of the human experience, <laughs> right? But it's so everything. Think- and when you start digging into the historical nature of our narratives, the the mythology of our narratives, it it is this juxtaposition of of experience, which creates story, which creates experience. And so that that interesting, mm. that's kind of how we formulate. Uh, our our progression in life is is through that duality that our 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 own human experiences are are the way we seek out the journeys we choose to go on are inspired by these mythological stories or narratives that have been ingrained in our 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 culture for you know twenty five thousand years uh, in many cases you know and that's what spawns the next thing so. You know, it, it is a, it is a, this, it can be confusing at times. What, what's guiding us, right? Is it, is it a traditional narrative of, 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 of who we think we want to become, right? Whatever our purpose or meaning is, or is it, is it, is it a, is it a, a derivative of the experience of what we know we don't want to be? And it's, and it's mm, that juxtaposition. The, the pursuit of excellence versus the avoidance of pain, right? That's Interesting. right connection right. there. Well, it's interesting and I'll we'll, we we can wrap up on this but I do want to come back to legacy and and you know that Gandhi quote to me I, I completely agree with it but I also agree that the best way to take care of the world is to take impeccable care of yourself. Amen. And that comes back to that sense of purpose. You know, you would have seen this working in the in the sports community you know, a star pitcher loses his fastball and he makes a decision. Okay. I'm either going to hang in there and maybe embarrass myself, or I'm going to reimagine my style and work around that to stay relevant. That's a decision. And one involves pain. Well, they both involve pain, but uh, one requires obviously some effort and some risk. It was interesting last night. I was actually on the ski hill with our family and uh, my nephew and my youngest son, we really love Formula One racing. Yeah. And I was telling them about an experience I had a close call with Ayrton Senna, and uh, who I think is just was a phenomenally well rounded person. But uh, one of his friends said to him, uh, apparently, that uh, you have nothing left to prove. Like you've accomplished everything. Uh, let's go fishing. Let's go have some fun. Let's just go and detach from this. And apparently he said, I can't, I can't, this is what I'm here to do. And I'm impacting so many people's lives directly and indirectly. And then of course, not long after that, apparently he ended up losing his life on the track, which was, you know, uh, just a phenomenal, but I'm trying to, you know, in my conversation with my nephew and my son, just trying to make sense of God's will, free will, and how that dynamic intersects. And where is that inside voice? Like what's propelling the inside voice, right? When I'm alone with my thoughts, 
Is it my experience? Is it a combination of hindsight, judgment, wisdom, and how much of it is externally being popped in there? I don't know. One of the mysteries. But it's the greatest mystery. Ultimately, yes. <laughs> so legacy, qualitative, quantitative, uh, I think if nothing else, just sort of thinking about it, uh, getting out in front of it uh, is important. But I, I'll tell you something, man. It is very admirable how you are taking your own history and shaping your impact in this industry by being a serious student and understanding a day in the life of these people, especially in light of these force majeures that we're experiencing. So, well, the uh, one thing, I, can I just hop in real course. quick, Duncan, on that point? Just, just real quick, make uh, try and make a quick point, but. Uh, you know, the one thing that I I'm witnessing, and, and this is, this is, uh, this is a profound truth across the entire world, right. Is, is, um, people that have significant financial platforms, let's say that have the greatest impact in the world because they can utilize that capital for whatever reason they want. And if they want to just ride around in their mega yacht or go fishing on a regular basis or whatever, then so be it. But those people that take that wealth and try and make an impact with it, those are the people mm -hmm. that are going to be able to um, cultivate that new, that emergent legacy. Because right, the, the human beings legacy is not one chapter of their life. It's the no. entirety of their story, right? In our world, you know, we always ask the question, you know, what's your dash going to say? Mm -hmm. You know, what's your dash? And that's the, the the little dash in between your birth date and your death date. And, you know, and I have a lot of friends that have uh, an early death date, but that dash, man, uh, they they had a profound impact on the world and in many different ways. Um, and so, you know, I think when you think of legacy, don't just think about the legacy of, of what you accomplished business-wise. Mm -hmm. Think about the legacy of, of, of what this next step is, how that's going to be um, integrated with your financial success. And, 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 the, and the final thing you know, I'll just say is this, is, man, nobody takes it all with you. Uh, it, it does not go with you um, at all. And so um, you know, don't be afraid. Uh, you know, once you make sure, you know, your, your family's taken care of and, and the people that you care about or organizations, and you've, you've done what you did, you know, don't be afraid, get out there and, and spend that money and in, in ways that are going to have a, a profound impact on you, but more importantly, in the service of others, because there's no greater legacy than that. You know, I'm trying to give you the last word, but you say such profound things. You just draw things out of me, but <laughs> I had a mentor way back in life who said, look, Money is going to make you more of who you are. If you're oh, a jerk cool. and you get rich, you'll be a bigger jerk. If you're benevolent, if you're honorable, and if you care about others, it will serve you incredibly well. So that's- I love that. That's got to be one of the best lines ever. I mean, money makes you what you are. Yeah. Well, and there's a, there's a stage of readiness for that because you think about the space we're in. So your point about wealth, wealth creation, a means to an end, it's not the end because not to get heavy here, but I, I've known some Please people get who, heavy. I love when you get heavy because well, you're profound when you're heaviness, Duncan. Listen, man, I know some people, uh, incredible success, and they died at their desk. 
Oh. And a little bit of did they uh, die doing what they love to be doing though? Is or or is it do you think they, they died because they didn't get out and do what they needed to do? Who am I to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. But ultimately, I think it's what they knew. And it maybe they sort of accidentally drifted into that pattern. And there was a little bit of collateral damage behind them. And uh, maybe they were risk averse in terms of letting that definition of themselves go a little bit identity to let that money become a means to other ends. I don't know. I'm trying not to judge too much, but I do believe that uh, God puts us in these experiences and environments to serve us, not hurt us, right? That's another aspect of legacy uh, in my view. But um, I'm really hoping you see the merit in coming back and uh, revisiting and going a little bit deeper. I know you're on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So anybody listening in, please get connected with David Rutherford on LinkedIn. Uh, where else can people find you, especially as it relates to frog logic? Because I have to think that if I'm a financial professional and I'm thinking about second and third generation clients, wouldn't be a bad idea to put some of those books you've written in the hands of my clients to help their kids in the spirit of community develop some of that courage and resilience and situational awareness, confidence, all of these qualities that seem to be throttled down. And I think your resources could help. So where can people find that? Uh, the, the easiest way, again, yeah, I, I'm on LinkedIn, but to uh, uh, just my website at teamfroglogic.com. That's that's the other real place. And we're currently in the process of uh, of developing our own app. Uh, so there will be a Frog Logic app probably out midsummer uh, to where we'll have uh, a truckload of curriculum within the Frog Logic Institute where we teach fear, self-confidence, team life, and purpose. Uh, and then we'll also have a huge kind of uh, community of, of motivational concepts. And I'm going to have other people that I believe are, are spectacular in terms of their awareness. We're going to put up their courses, their curriculum there. So we're, we're, we're going to uh, get back out there in earnest here, uh, relatively short. But in the meantime, you can find us at teamfroglogic.com. Terrific. And I'm going to be relentless on you to NFT <laughs> that logo. Yeah. Because if that, if that ape NFT can run the way it did, yeah. that one's better in my view. So we'll have oh, that uh, another awesome. conversation. But just terrific. I got so much out of this. The notes are just, uh, I'll keep this forever. And uh, again, I hope you see the merit in uh, picking this back up uh, sometime down the road, but I really appreciate your time. You are a force of positivity, man. I love your approach. Uh, I, I think your, your insights are, are profound. Uh, I think any, any team that, that will do itself an immense favor by just exposing themselves to what you got going on. Um, and I just, I feel honored that you would even consider having me on your show with your level of expertise in this space. And, and then the grace with which you, she's just allowed me to contribute was, is, 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 uh, is profound and I'm humbled and I, I just, I'm, I'm grateful for, for you. Thank you. Well, don't let me brush that off with this comment. I really do appreciate that, but I am going to need you to text all of that to my wife and kids. You got it. I absolutely Just, you know, give me done. a little bit more that's, credit out there. That's a done deal, man. That's what I love to do. I love to share how much uh, people impact me with their family. It, it just, you know, sometimes we, we lose sight of that, right? Sometimes, you know, we become detached from the impact our family members are having in their own worlds. And, 
And I think what it takes is a, is a little bit of that connectivity, a little bit of uh, um, exposure, if you will, to, to the, 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 the impact that, that people can have and are having out there day in and day out. So anybody who's listening, man, uh, you know, just take a time and, and just try and see what, what your loved ones are doing in the world and then compliment on it. Beautiful. Okay, man. Thank you very much. We'll see you hopefully out in the field sometime sooner than later. But in the meantime, uh, let's just keep the conversation going. Amen. God bless you, Duncan. Thank you so much. Take it easy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit proudmouth.com to learn more.